Well, good morning, church. My name's Peter. I'm one of the Church of England lay readers here, which means I'm a lay minister, um, and I get the opportunity sometimes to come and talk to you, so that's rather lovely. Um, it's nice to see the church starting to get back to normal again now, and hopefully it will even be more normal once we turn this thing back to where it was before and start looking over there again. I can't wait for that, can you? That's going to be lovely. Somebody can wait for it, oh dear. Um, so, we've got the first slide up. So, just in case you're left in any sort of doubt about what our Bible readings are about, both of them, or what I'm going to talk about this morning, it's about faith. We'll be looking at what faith is, what faith is not, and how faith works out in practice. Starting with what faith is. Probably the best place to go for a description of faith is where do you think in the Bible? Where should we look? Somebody tell me. Well, I chose Hebrews. Because I think there's a nice bit in Hebrews about faith in chapter 11, verse 1. My NIV Bibles translates it this way. It says, faith is being certain of what we hope for and sure of what we do not see. Are you familiar with that passage? Yeah? Come across it occasionally, don't we? I prefer the amplified version of the Bible, which goes on to describe faith in a bit more detail. It says, now faith is the conviction of things hoped for. So conviction instead of certainty. The evidence of things not seen. So evidence instead of surety. The conviction of that reality. It's because faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. So what we can't touch, what we can't smell, uh, what we can't bump into, it's those sort of things that faith is about. We can't experience it physiologically, but we can experience it through a mindful commitment to it. Faith for the Christian, I think, when it comes down to it, what's it all about? Well, ultimately it's based on the righteousness of God. Because we put our trust in God, we put our faith in God, and it's about him, hopefully, continuing to be faithful if we can say that God is a faithful God and God is a righteous God. So if we can say those things, our faith is built on solid ground. So if we look, go back to Isaiah chapter 40, and look at those verses in Isaiah. What are they all about? Well, you might have missed some of them uh, because the sound wasn't too good at the back, but hopefully you're picking it up now. The first thing is that Isaiah says God always does the right thing. The second thing is he is always virtuous and he's always honorable. He always keeps his promises. He always does what is morally correct and truthful, regardless of the situation. And also, what's more, he can use anyone and anything at any time for his purposes. Doesn't he? To do things, to uh, carry out his will here on this earth. Isn't that the sort of individual that you can have faith in? Yes. Yes, it is, absolutely. So when the prophet 
lays down the past actions of God is to remind the people that God is righteous. That you can have complete faith in God. Hello. <laughs> Even though you may not have personally seen the events in the Bible, there are a great number of people who have and have written about them. And their collective testimony bears witness to God's righteousness. In history, these things actually happen. There are so many witnesses that have written about it in the Bible from different perspectives, the same event, that you're left pretty well, I would think, if you look at it logically, as a historian would look at it, that yes, these things did happen. So because they happened in history, and because of today's witness of our brothers and sisters here in this congregation, we can put our trust in Jesus, can't we? Yes, we can. <laughs> Likewise, when we're in the boat with Jesus, no matter, as in the scripture reading, even if it's the darkest night, and the storms are raging, and the water's coming over the side of the boat, and we're getting tossed and turned everywhere, we apparently have no control. In that situation, that's the best time, isn't it, folks, to have faith and hope in him, not in us. Jesus demonstrates that he's also got absolute power over wind and waves, and in fact, over all of the natural world. The Bible says that through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. Nothing. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, the Bible says, but the darkness has not understood it. What's more, the darkness will never overcome it. The disciples were in the boat with the light of the world, and yet they had not understood it. Why was that, do you think? Well, perhaps they were looking in the wrong place for an answer to their prayers. If indeed they were praying. Looking in the wrong place to be saved. Caught up in the anxiety of the situation, in the dark of night and in a storm. They went inwards on themselves and focused on their own fear rather than faith in the only one who could save them. And there he was in the front of the boat. Goodness me, it, it just, it's incredible, isn't it? But clearly at that stage, the disciples didn't understand fully or comprehend or have faith in Jesus. Perhaps they did understand, but faith is a progressive process that I'm going to be talking about shortly. So what's true of God is also true of Jesus, isn't it? They're both the same. There is no discrepancy or difference between one and the other, as is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Faith in Jesus follows the testimony of many people from different backgrounds at the time he walked the earth, the testimony of his perfect life and his sacrificial death, and of course his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus says things about God and also about Christ. First, it confirms God's absolute power over life on life and death. It reaffirms Christ's perfect sacrifice and God's righteousness in bearing witness to it. 
Secondly, from Christ's perspective, it confirms that he defeated death. Well, that was rather interesting, some chimes. I thought it was heavenly. It's only Nicky's phone. And also, the resurrection proves, doesn't it, that there's life over death. And there was only something like 500 witnesses to it, as recorded by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. That's enough in itself, isn't it, to sort of, I would have thought, convince you, if you needed convincing, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I don't know about you, but when I see words like certainty and surety linked to faith, as we had in that NIV reading, I wonder if my understanding of faith is right. That's the one from Hebrews. You see, for me, and probably for many of you here today, the use of these words is what faith is not. Yeah, I'll have that. Faith for me is not about an absolute certainty. Is it? That's not faith. Is it? No. Nor is it about an absolute surety. That's not faith either. Similarly, faith is not just taking things on face value and giving it a go or trying it for size. That's just blind faith. Nor is it like taking a chance or having a gamble. My understanding of faith is that it's more of a process than a single event. And because of that definition of faith, it needs to account for different stages of faith. Faith develops. It first starts with reasoning and understanding. It develops into action, which is founded on reasoning. It's then validated by experience. The fact that you understand something, you've done something about it, and then doing something about it, very often when you look back, you look back on when you had faith, you can see that God worked in that situation. So that's the evidence of it through experience. And then at the ultimate, faith is recognized and rewarded in righteousness, in personal righteousness. The foundation for any sort of faith, be it Christian or otherwise, starts with some sort of reasoning or analysis. It's motivated into action and it's validated through experience. The final judgment, then, is proved through righteousness. That's it up there on the screen. I recognize it as a chair because it's got four legs, it's got a back, it's got a horizontal bit which you sit on, that's the start of faith. What I just said is some form of reasoning. My faith develops once I decide to put my trust in that faith, my trust in that reasoning. It's indeed a chair, and I'm motivated towards sitting on it like you all are here. My faith has now been moved from reason into action, and my action has provided for me a personal experience. You're all sitting down. Nobody's fell off the chair because it is a chair. You thought it was a chair. You decided to sit on it. And thankfully, thank God, you're remaining sitting on the chair. We now have three parts to this. Reasoning, motivation to action, and validation. 
Now let's look at comparing that to a biblical understanding of faith. I can look at the Bible and I can say on the basis of the whole of Scripture, yes, I believe that it's true that God created this universe, that Jesus was a real man sent by God. He died on the cross and was resurrected and hundreds of people gave witness to his resurrection. And there it stops. My question to you is, is that faith? It's the basis of faith, but in itself, it's not faith. It's good as far as it gets, but all it is is understanding, isn't it? I've looked at the Bible, and on the evidence, I think, yeah, yeah, there's a good chance that that happened. That's understanding, that's reasoning. It's not yet developed into faith. Faith really takes hold when you take that understanding and do something about it. You act on it. Why is this definition of faith so important? And why am I going on about it the way I am? Why must action follow reasoning? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, we cannot be saved. John 3:16. Without faith, the Christian life cannot be what God intends it to be. John 10. 10. So it's really pretty important, isn't it? So coming back to Isaiah, like a bit of a golden thread running through the book of Isaiah is the subject of faith. And Isaiah is generally known as the prophet of faith. And this message to us today from Isaiah is this. Have faith in God a God who is above all things, who has no rival or competitor who comes close to his power and authority. He created all things. He maintains all things. And that includes you and me. And he holds us in the palm of his hand. And with his right hand he supports us and brings us to a victory. The result of our victory will finally be confirmed when we enter the kingdom of heaven. So, like the men on the boat with Jesus, don't worry or be faithful when your prayers, if you pray them, are not evidenced as answered in the physical realm. Have faith in a God who chose you, who reached out to you when you were far away. He came to you. You may think that you came to him. And that's great, because ultimately that's right. But first, God came to us. He didn't reject you. He didn't reject me. He's not just for you, he is with you. God will also strengthen you and help you to have faith in him. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that the words that have come from my humanity that are of no significance, Lord, are just disappear into the ether. But the words that I've spoken that come from your heart, that reflect your truth and your wishes, I pray that you would stamp them onto our hearts with a divine imprimatur, so that at the times when we really need to have faith, Lord, 
that we will recall them through your Holy Spirit. Lord, continue to bless us, continue to keep us safe, continue to protect us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.